0: Welcome to Beat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast sponsored by Big O Tires. I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff, and it's Tuesday, September 24th. A Royals era ends this week with the announcement that manager Ned Yost is stepping down. Yost took over in 2010, and although this season will mark the second straight in which the Royals lose at least 100 games, he oversaw some of the best times in franchise history with the World Series appearance in 2014 and the franchise's second World Championship in 2015. Star columnist Sam Mellinger covered every year of the Yost era and shares his thoughts on what made Yost a success, why the decision happened now, and who might become the successor. Later, Chiefs reporter Sam McDowell helps me welcome the newest member of the Star Sports staff, and primary Chiefs reporter, Herbie Tiope, Or maybe we should say we welcome back Herbie, who spent the last four seasons covering the Saints for the Times-Picayune and the New Orleans Advocate plus the NFL Network. But before then, he covered the Chiefs for Chiefs Digest and the cable outlet known today as Spectrum Sports. We are thrilled to have Herbie back in the fold. Star columnist Sam Mellinger is here a couple hours after the announcement that Royals manager Ned Yost would step down after this season, retire, I guess, is the word. Uh, he certainly won't be with the Royals after this year. Five games left in the Royal season; it's five or six, whatever it is. This is the last week of Ned Ned Yost as the Royals manager. Uh, Sam, were, were you surprised by the news?
1: No. No, but um, I should also say here that I thought he'd retire last year, you know, <laughs> right. um, so uh, maybe I'm surprised I'm right. Uh, I guess maybe uh, that's the part, but it, it just, it's time, you know, um, he had a really good run here. Uh, you know, the one of two managers to win a World Series and the other one has his number retired. Nobody ever took the team to back-to-back World Series. I mean, he w- he was part of, you know, some of the best moments that the Royals have ever had, but hes he's also 65. And, uh, you know, I think that there's a feeling from both sides that, that the Royals and Ned can be better off if, if they kind of move in a different direction. It was it was great while it lasted. Um, most managers don't get 10 years with one team. Um, but, you know, I, I think this makes sense for both sides.
0: He's going to leave as the winningest manager in Royals history, not by winning percentage, because he'll finish under 500. But yeah. in terms of number of victories, um, he will he will have uh, not lapped the field, but he's put some distance between him and, uh, and second place. And you're right, when managers don't last as long as Ned Yost, especially in markets the size of
1: Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there, <laughs> there were times where it, it didn't seem like he would last this long. Correct. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, July of 2014 um, sticks out when uh, that was two years after the, the our time disaster. And, you know, they, they were below 500 after the all-star break. And, you know, there was a time and not just Ned, but um, the general manager too, you know, Dayton Moore, there, there was a time where, you know, there's owners in baseball that would have fired those guys um, at that time. i I'll never, Stop wondering what would have happened with Ned um, if the wild card game didn't turn. <laughs> yep. You know the, the the sixth inning there when Donald Ventura came in with the lead. Um, two day came in for James Shields two days after throwing seventy two pitches um, in in the season finale he had never been in a relief appearance like that uh, and just blew up gave up a, a three run homer to Brandon Moss um, then a single threw a wild pitch. And, uh, you know, by the time Ned got him, Pedro Martinez was ripping him on Twitter and, uh, you know, and and Ned was getting booed, um, you know, as he walked off the field. And I, I was going back through uh, today and I read uh, Andy McCullough's incredible story on that wildcard game uh, that ran, you know, a year later. I still think that's one of the best things we've, we've had in the paper since, uh, since I've been here. But anyway, um, you know, he, he had uh, talked to some fans and other people that just, you know, felt so as he was walking off the field oh man I feel bad for him that's it for him he's done you know he, he's gonna be fired and you know they they bailed him out you know the the team came back and now we don't remember that game for your Dono Ventura's uh, you know relief games. Right. remember for Salvador Perez somehow pulling a slider five feet off the plate down the <laughs> third baseline and uh and, and winning the game that, that's kind of Ned you know uh, wasn't always like pretty or how you drew it up but shoot man like in in the end it's the result you wanted
0: you know you I think you just started covering baseball when the Royals hired Ned it was right around the same time I, I believe what, what were your earliest impressions of him was he the guy that that you believe could right the ship and and get things going uh you know in a, in a positive direction uh, the Royals had had it had shown really no signs of of life uh, up until yeah. what, 2010. But what were your earliest impressions?
1: Yeah, well, I, I had to put in a a year of time on Buddy Bell, and then, uh, and, then <laughs> and then and then get through Trey Omen, uh before <laughs> being right. gifted I, with Ned. But, <laughs> I apologize for the no, for the mistiming no, here. Uh, yeah, it's uh, easy to forget, um, but. Uh, the the first impressions of, of Ned I think were pretty positive. Um, you know, it, it's <laughs> I thought when they hired him, um, and you know this, this has been out there before. I think we wrote it at the time that um, you know the Royals when they hired um, Trey Hillman they really wanted Joe Girardi and and I th- I don't know how that was going to go, but once the Yankees job came open then. You know, the Royals were, were, were out of the running. Um, and, and then they hired Trey Hillman, who had also been, you know, in on the Yankees. Um, but then with uh, with Ned, when I got talking with him and, you know, sort of hear a story a little bit, he seemed like in a lot of ways, the kind of guy that Dayton would have wanted to hire in the first place. And you know, kind of take Girardi out of it, but it just, he just—he just like fit that profile. And and I guess what I mean by that is, you know, old school baseball guy uh, believes in the power of, you know, cohesion. Believes in belief, if I can say that. You know, to, uh, believes in the importance of confidence. Um, you know, more old school than than analytics. Um, and believes and has experience in two rebuilds we, we talk about milwaukee um, yeah. and he was the manager there until he got <laughs> dumped with i think 12 games left in in a pennant race uh, but he was also there um, you know as different roles as a third base coach i think bench coach bullpen coach um, in atlanta and i think dayton really liked that profile so it, it made sense from there and then you know, um, as as a guy, I I really like Ned. Um, I, I think he's he's funny. Um, he is quick. Um, I, I like talking with him. He's got a million stories, and and not all of them are about baseball. You right? Know? I mean, he's oh, got right. stories about driving Andre the Giant like three hours from the airport to some you know WWF at that point. Um, uh, you know wrestling match he's got you know Dale Earnhardt stories and Jeff Foxworthy stories and um stories of deer deer hunting uh he, he's a he's a really interesting guy um uh, just you know personality wise I'll miss talking with him
0: for sure you know he left or he was elevated to the Brewers' job or got the Brewers' job when th- their organization was, you know, stockpiling young talent, and he was the guy that was going to bring along this young talent, and and he didn't get to see it through to its fruition. That was not the case in Kansas City. You know, the, the Royals started to have, you know, some you know, they had a lot of high draft picks, uh, and and he got to manage these guys and and build that clubhouse. Um, yeah. You know, guys like, you know, Hosmer and Mustakas and then the, the young Lorenzo Cain and Escobar coming over in the trade. He inherited, you know, Alex Gordon and Billy Butler and, and, a, and a couple others. But but for the most part, he was the manager that, that molded a, you know, a, a, a young team in, into a championship-level team. And, uh, and I think he would have—I actually think it would have happened for him in Milwaukee if they had a little more patience with him there. But it, he did get to finish the job in Kansas City. And will that be— something to remember him by.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think about that. I thought about it at the, at the time, you know, when that 2012 season was supposed to be, you know, sort of the the coming out. Our time. And, yep. And, and that was just a disaster. The Our Time season, and this is... <laughs> something that I'll never forget for whatever reason, but the Royals were booed 16 minutes into their home opener that year. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't win a home game until May, (laughs) Uh, you know, and and when that happens, and then again, when you're under 500 um, after the all-star break in 2014, which by then was, you know, the fourth full season and and really fifth season um, that Ned had been there if you've got that in your history, what happened in Milwaukee, I just wonder if you start seeing ghosts a little bit and, you know, he, he got grumpy and, you know, short. And, you know, I think that there was probably some worry, not just from him, but, you know, from the front office about, you know, gosh, like, you know, at that time Dayton had been there since June of 06. So that's eight years. And, you know, I remember looking it up at the time, like how many, uh, um, you know, general managers get, you know, eight seasons with no postseasons. Correct. Um, and I can't remember if there was anybody on that list, but if so, it was a very short list. And, you know, those were those were trying times And that, you know, in some ways, the ultimate test for what the Royals had said they believed in. You know what I mean? Like they, they believe in their own guys. They believe in, you know, home homegrown. Uh, And they believe in a a clubhouse, a locker room, and you know it's hindsight now, but that's what got them through. You know, they they had that ridiculous run in August, and and that was also the year that um, didn't Eric Hosmer uh, break his hand like two hours after the trade deadline? (laughs) Um, Right, right, missed and missed time. Yeah, missed about four weeks if I remember right, and you know then Billy Butler's playing first base, and it's this is a team that. Um you know that that prides itself on defense You're like oh <laughs> that is that is a problem, going from you know Hosmer to to Billy Butler, but you know dang it if Butler didn't show up pretty well if if I remember right, they played Oakland um really you know maybe the first series after uh Hosmer's broken hand and Billy made a couple good plays and you know hit the crap out of the ball and, and the Royals actually went on a big run. And you know, it was just that was the beginning of what really proved to be two straight years of the Royals having their absolute best moments with their backs flat against the wall. Right. You know, and and that wild card game will always be you know the the clearest example of that. But there's a million others. There's you know game four against Houston, and you know there's game six against Toronto. And, you know, there's Eric Hosmer's, you know, dash home in the Queens. I mean, there's just there's a million of those examples. And look, I, I, I think that the importance of a manager in modern big league baseball is usually but overstated. Um, I really do believe that they don't, you know, the decisions are out of their hands now um, that, that managers used to make. But I do believe that a manager has an impact on that clubhouse and it has an impact on, you know, guys being focused and, you know, guys believing in the right things and the important things. And, you know, the old cliche about like rowing in the same direction. And, you know, for anybody who is old enough to remember the Royals before 2010, that was a franchise almost defined by dysfunction and defined by, uh, a clubhouse splintering, where you know there's there's some old veterans that just want to you know um, present themselves for the next contract, or some young players that you know don't care about the team and just want to you know pad their own stats. Like that yeah, that stuff happened every year all over the clubhouse, and it really stopped with Ned. And you know I, I firmly believe that the players should always get you know the credit and the blame. they they're the ones that make this whole thing go. Um, but Ned was absolutely a critical, you know, important part of that as well.
0: I, I think that's an excellent point. I, I don't think in the decade that he was the manager here that the media or the public, if there was any discontentment in the clubhouse, we never heard about it. Never, yeah. N- never knew it. Uh, never heard about it. And and I, and I believe it rarely existed. You know, just in. Uh, I'm not saying everything was peace and harmony the entire time, but uh, you're right. I, I do remember those pre-Ned yeah. teams and. You know, and 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 it was there were, – they were rudderless ships for the most part. And it was, yeah. it was never that way with Ned.
1: Yeah, and, and one more – I think an important part of that too is, you know, Ned – and he is stubborn. I'm not saying he's not stubborn, but there is a perception of him that he is, you know, ceaselessly stubborn. That he is like that is just, you know, his way or nothing. But I, Ned made a couple really important and significant changes. Um, one of them – you know, maybe the one that's been talked about the most is, you know, he kind of gave up a lot of control, um, or at least, you know, accepted a change in strategy when, um, you know, in 2014, um, remember that, that was, uh, well, the sixth inning is Aaron Crows. That's why he pitches the sixth inning Yep. and then gave up the home run to that little second baseman that actually like the Royal signed in spring training. I can see his face, Daniel Nava, um and and, and, in and, and Boston, Dan now,
0: at, at Fenway. Yeah, yeah.
1: Dan Navin now playing for the T-Bones, I believe, um, at least this past season, <laughs> uh, hit a grand slam off Aaron Crow. And and it was just a terrible decision. I remember watching that game online from the press box in Denver. <laughs> the Chiefs were playing the Broncos, and it was just, oh man, like that. You know, that was another one of those, like, oh my gosh, like if this is the beginning of the end, you know, this might be it for Ned. But after that Um, you know, Dave Island came to him and said like, look, like let's, let's rearrange the the way that we do this and shift around the sixth inning. It doesn't have to be Aaron Crows. And, you know, a stubborn man says, no, get out of here. You know, and, and also let's go back to Milwaukee. And I just think that it would be easy for you to think like to not trust anybody and to think that, Um, You absolutely have to prove your own worth because, you know, of of how it ended in Milwaukee. And I'm going to prove that I'm the smart guy and and I can do this. And Ned accepted the help and and the Royals were better for it. The other way, and and I think this is important in that locker room clubhouse cohesion piece of it. Ned is an old school guy, absolutely old school. And he was raised where, um, you know, you don't blast music in the clubhouse and you don't celebrate you know, every, every big play or every routine win or all these things. And he shifted a hundred percent on that. You know, the, the Royals were the, the celebratingest team oh, in major league baseball from 2013 to whenever it stopped happening in 2016. And, you know, I, and I think in some ways that had to like, Ned just had to let that go, you know, cause that, that is not how he was raised. Uh, that is not like what he, believed in when he came to the Royals, but I think he saw, you know, I wrote this in a column that should be up pretty soon. Um, but like Ned's decision chart is very simple. It was basically, will this give my players more confidence? Hmm. (laughs) If yes, do it. If no, try again. And, and it was, well, they want to play music. It makes them feel better. Let's let them play music. You know, they want to have a million hand signals every time they get a single to right field, like let them do their hand signals. And, you know, that, again, the players deserve the credit. But, um, you know, Ned was really, really, really successful in fostering all of that personality that, that the Royals showed. And I think that Kansas City really fell in love with
0: Hey, do you think the ownership change uh, had anything to do with this decision? I know you said that you thought it would have happened a year ago, and Ned was on a one-year deal this year. Yeah. Um, what about the the, the, the prospective ownership change from from David Glass to to John Sherman?
1: Yeah, it it might. Yeah, um, it might. I mean, it's funny about like the, he's been on a one-year contract forever. I remember. Um, if I'm not mistaken, um, again, Andy, uh but after two thousand fourteen and they they go to the World Series and they're playing again the next year, they're basically wire to wire as a first place team. And I think Andy wrote one time that he called uh Ned a lame duck manager because <laughs> he was on a one year contract in that one <laughs> Ned didn't like that. <laughs> that, was, that was great. Oh I, I think the ownership change didn't help, you know. I think that um Ned has a lot of respect and obviously a, a pretty deep history with David Glass, um, but you know, and look, it doesn't matter because I was wrong the year before. But I, I kind of thought, I think he was he was going to be done now anyway. He's he's 65 and I know he's making more money than he's ever made in his life, but um, he's got a good life waiting for him in Georgia, you know, and. Um, he's got his wife of 40 some years and he's got this dream house that they built together. And, um, I I really think that he's ready to do that stuff. He, he told me last year, this is part of why I thought he was done last year. He, He talked last year about when he was going through the decision about, um, you know, his wife, um, her parents worked their whole lives. Um, and I forgot what they did for a living, but you know, hard work, lots of hours and, uh, and then retired and short after um, retirement, they had this, you know, retirement life plan, of all these things they wanted to do. And um, and and one of them was diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, and that was the end. Mm. And, you know, and he's he, he brought that up without me. I didn't know that he brought that up as just a sort of, you know, I don't want that to be us or more specifically his wife doesn't want that to be us. You know, I want to, she wants to be able to, to enjoy these years. And I think that that's, um, you know, that more than anything is why this is happening. But, um, you know, yeah, I think that, uh, the ownership may have just been an unnecessary one more straw, yeah. you know, if that makes sense. Right, right, right.
0: Okay. So is, uh, is Mike Matheny the guy? Uh, that's who
1: I'd bet on, you know, yeah. um, you it, 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 you know, it, it seems that's the pattern. Right? Um uh the the Trey Hillman or I'm sorry, the, the Ned Yost. That's how um, Ned got it,
0: right? He was, yeah, the he was Ned h- hired, hired for a front office job that didn't exist before he you know, before he got there, yeah. special assistant sort of thing.
1: I do think that um that there's a lot that the front office likes about Mike Matheny. You know, generally he fits the profile. I think they want somebody with previous experience. And whether that's a direct tie to you know, the chance they took on Trey Hillman that didn't work out um, or not. But, you know, Ned had previous experience and that worked out a heck of a lot better. Um, I need to do a little bit more homework on why I know that the fan opinion of Mike Matheny is very negative, uh, <laughs> very, very negative. And I think that the opinion of him generally in St. Louis is also very, very negative. But um, I, I don't I, I, I need to ask some more questions and you know just talk to a few more people about exactly why uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in second chances generally um, I think that smart people who um, you know care about their work can learn from mistakes and and get a lot better um, but I, I want to know more about why I mean it just it seems like a consensus don't you think
0: yeah it, it has been which is interesting for a guy that um, six and a half seasons with the Cardinals 56 percent uh, winning percentage, Won yeah. one hundred in twenty fifteen. Got the Cardinals to the World Series the year before the Royals made their two year run in uh, in twenty thirteen. Right. So he won. <laughs> he won baseball games, which I thought was the objective here. Yeah. So, but you're right. I, I've heard the same. I've heard. have <laughs> right. heard a lot of the same things. And uh, and I, I know there were some reports almost immediately after the the Royals announced Yost's uh, retirement that, uh, Martini was the guy. And I, I think, um, other people closer to the situation, media in Kansas city, this was coming from national types, but media in Kansas city upon a little more reporting determined that that is not the case there has been as of, you know, Monday afternoon, nothing, um, uh, no, no type of announcement about a successor for net.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, yes. And, and I think Dale Swain and, and, um, and I really like Pedro Grifoll. I, 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 think I that, do
0: too. My gosh, I, I think yeah. he, I, I I think he's to me he's the Dave Tobe of the you know of the royal staff, a guy that <laughs> really yeah. really deserves to, to be a, a manager somewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean he he's got a very diverse skill set. You know, I mean he he can he can get micro and 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 talk about like hitting technique and approach and all that stuff. And I think he's also a good you know sort of for lack of a better term like swag coach of you know just pumping guys up. He's, he's bilingual. Um, he's got a history in scouting. I mean, I, I just think that Pedro has a future doing whatever he wants. And if he wants to be the manager, I think he'd be great. But, um, Matheny just, I don't know, it, 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 it really does fit the profile. And, And I don't think a decision has been made on that. Um, I don't think a decision can be made on that. Um, in part because what we were just talking about with the, uh, the change in ownership, um, I'm sure that you know, sort of technically or whatever Dayton can can make that higher, but I don't know. Um, if you've got a new owner who's gonna take over in two months, don't you want him at the table? And, uh, and, at, at, you at, know? The,
0: at the head of the table um, yeah, to be honest yeah. with you.
1: So yeah, I don't think that decision you know can be made quite yet, right.
0: Okay, well, when it is, we'll talk about it. Because that's what we, we sure do. Will. That's what we do on SportsBKC. Sam, thanks a
1: lot. Yeah, man. Okay. Save big on the biggest brand tires. Where else? You're participating. Pigo Tires now through September 22nd. Get up to seventy dollars off select sets of Michelin and BF Goodrich brand tires. Plus, get up to an additional one hundred and twenty dollars in mail-in rebates on qualifying purchases using your Pigo Tires credit card. Only at Pigo Tires, the team you trust. Not valid with other offers. Disposal fees extra. Up to ten percent shop fee based on non-discounted retail price. Not to exceed $35, dollars per permitted. For the store nearest you, go to BigOtires.com.
0: Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars' award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news features and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate for your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Sam McDowell is here, I'm here, Blair Kirkhoff, and look who else is here. Look who's here. How about that? Herbie Teope is here and got into town on Sunday? Sunday. Yes, it is.
2: Drove in
3: just for the podcast. Exactly.
2: I drove 16 hours from New Orleans just to sit in this podcast. And then back. You'll be going back (laughs) after this.
0: No, I'm not going back. We were so honored that you did that, Herbie. I'm telling you. No, it is. It is great to see you again. You're here to cover the Chiefs for the Kansas City Star as the as the lead beat writer.
2: That's what they tell me.
0: Yep, yep. Uh, and you've been on the you've been on the clock now for what a day and a half or so. Um, you, you weren't at the game Sunday because. You were still in transit.
2: That's right. I was driving through the rain that left Arrowhead and made its way to St. Louis. So I was driving through that, but I did wave to y'all. You know, as I passed Arrowhead, I did, knew y'all were still there. I waved. Did you at least have it on the radio? Were you listening? I did have the radio on. Yes, yes I did. to Mitch yes, in the, I did. In the guys. Okay. It, it is so, I'm going to tell you. After being away for a while, when as soon as I heard touchdown
0: Kansas City, I was like, "Wow, I'm, I'm back. I am back." And you are back uh, because, uh, and, and I noticed today when you came to the to the media room. You went right back to your old seat in there. Herbie, you uh, you are no stranger to this area and to this team. Just give us uh, give us the resume. Give us a little background. Uh, where were you? Let's go, I'll tell you what. Let's go to the immediate past. You, we I think we've established you came from New Orleans. What were you doing in New Orleans?
2: Um, I was covering the Saints for the Times-Picayune uh, from 2016, 2017. And then um, the NFL Network slash NFL.com hired me in 2018. And then I returned to the same speed for the second go round with the Times Picayune just recently, and then the opportunity to come back here was is, was too strong. It was absolutely too strong, you know. As, as you mentioned, there st- sticking with the media. I started out in the Kansas City media scene with Time Warner Cable Metro Sports, and then that eventually became what Sports Channel, and then I don't know oh, what it's, the name it's is
0: now. <laughs> like, it was Charter for a while.
2: It was special. five different names. Yeah.
0: Bright House, it was, it's been everything.
2: And you know, I actually used to do some online work for the Kansas City Stars website. Look at that. <laughs> What? Is it Get, recording? Getting,
0: getting some instruction from our producer, Kathy.
3: <laughs> Who has no faith in us. Oh, we should goodness. probably tell our listeners that the question we were just asked was, did you hit record? <laughs> <laughs> and
2: I will tell you that he got two thumbs up here to the, to the window behind me here. <laughs> the time's ticking, so
3: I think that's a positive sign.
2: Yeah, we're covering the Chiefs, though, for Associated Press, Topeka Capital Journal, Pro Football Weekly. I mean, so I, I've been around the team a lot, and I found it unique when Coach Reed – says it's good to have Herbie back too. I was like, see, he he remembers me. The
3: North remembers. He <laughs> so, does joke around. That proves he does joke around. Yes, he does. Yes, he does.
0: Uh, did did you get a, a farewell from Sean Payton? I did. Sean um, Sean actually sent me a
2: text and said, uh, "Good Very luck." Nice. Yeah. And um, Saints general manager Mickey Loomis last week because I was um, in Los Angeles for the Saints Rams game. He he was up in the press box, pulled me aside, and said, uh, "We heard you're going home. Good luck. Thanks for your coverage." So yeah, that was that was nice of them.
0: Very nice. Now. Uh, as I recall, you're a big Kansas Jayhawk guy.
2: Oh goodness! Here we go. Here we go. That's a big negative, Ghost Rider. Big negative. I'm a Kansas State grad, proud purple pride, everything. Yeah. Ema baby. Ema baby.
0: Yeah. So when did when did you go to K State? Uh, well, the joke
2: there was on. I was on the nine year plan. Because <laughs> you see, now you're getting into my first career. Uh, I was in the army, and towards the end of my career, uh, decided to change degrees from justice administration, from uh, Hawaii Pacific University, and with the, the J school out there at Manhattan, and so I was there. I started out in 2004, and I didn't officially graduate until like 2012, 2013. Yeah, it was the job, you know? I, I, it was like back and forth, back and
0: forth. Uh, a little bit of a late start to the college, uh, to the campus life for you. Why is that?
2: The career, man. The Army, yeah, the Army. The Army did it.
0: Yeah, yeah, twenty-year vet.
2: Yep, twenty years, twenty years. Wow, hard to
0: believe. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's fantastic. You were um, uh, your first Chiefs team was the twenty. Was it Andy's first team? Or no, my was it, fir- no, it was end of end of the Cornell era.
2: No, my first Chiefs team would have been two thousand six. Uh, Herm Edwards' first year because I actually went up to a River Falls. Love River Falls. Uh, but I think, like, one thing with Herm Edwards, because his father retired out of the Army as the same rank as me. His dad was a master sergeant. And so when Herm Edwards found that out, he and I, we immediately connected. Uh, so from Herm Edwards to, obviously, Scott Pioli, Todd Haley, and then Romeo Cornell, and then 2013, Andy Reid shows up. And yeah, Andy Andy and I have a pretty good relationship, I'd like to think.
0: So you were here on the—basically, you were here when Andy Reid started with, um, you know, with that regime, and— so, Andy Reid starts out of the gate winning nine straight. Yes. And you had just covered a team that went 2-14 and 14 and ended in a, you know, just a disaster, a disaster. And it must have been, I wasn't covering the team then. I didn't come until two years later. Uh, Therese Paylor was covering for the star and Randy mm-hmm. Kovitz for the star. But two that, good men. Absolutely. Uh, no doubt. And we get to see Therese all the time now because he works for Yahoo. But that must have been just incredible, to, to go from 2 and 14 to what Andy Reid had brought. What were your impressions of Andy in that first, uh, those first couple seasons?
2: I think the biggest difference from the former regime before Reid showed up to when Reid and then John Dorsey showed up was the locker room. That was the biggest difference. You can tell that the players really believed in the leadership that they had with Andy and John. Because Reid is so personable.
3: I, I like to think he is. You know, Sam cracked a joke earlier. Oh, he does joke. Yeah, he, he's very. Personal. No, he's a funny guy. Yeah. But my point was, if he if he said he missed you, then that had to be a joke.
2: Oh, oh, <laughs> ooh, Sam over here taking shots. Wow, yeah, get used to that. <laughs>
3: he's,
0: he's, he's a silent assassin. That's, over that's here. my beat partner there. <laughs> I, I think, like,
2: um, for me, one of the biggest differences, and, and so you mentioned some of the differences there between Reed and the past regime was was the personal, the personality that came with with Andy. Um, the energy that came with Andy, it's it's clearly present over there. But I I think the biggest thing for me when I changed beats was really understanding what an elite quarterback is. I mean, going from – because Patrick Mahomes was not here yet. When I left, it was still Alex Smith. And Alex Smith helped stabilize a dark period in Chiefs history. For, for sure. Because after Trent Green retired, what, you went to Howard, you went to Tyler Thigpen. Tyler uh, Palko. Tyler Palko was there. There's some Brody Croyle Brody, in there. Brody Croyle. Here's the name. Matt Gutierrez. Matt Castle. Uh, Kyle Brady. Not Kyle Brady. Brady Quinn. Yeah. Brady wow. Quinn. Wow. And, and so I, going from all that and then Alex Smith was, was light years ahead of all of that. But then going to New Orleans and covering Drew Brees. Wow. That's when you know when you when you put your eyes on an elite quarterback and, and the things they do and, and to prepare and how they practice. And and one of the reasons why I enjoy coming back to Kansas City is because now we get to cover a generational quarterback. Patrick Mahomes doesn't come around every every two, three years. This is a generational guy. And so I know Chiefs fans out here just from watching from afar are extremely excited, and I think if we as media members, we should also embrace that too. As, as one media member texted me, it's like, this is like going back to Chicago and covering Michael Jordan in the 1980s. It's a generational type player. And I think like for, for the three of us and our colleagues, Sam and Vaje, hey, we're going to embrace that.
0: So you got Drew Brees kind of at the, te- at the end of his career, yes. in the fourth quarter of his career. You're getting Patrick Mahomes in the first quarter of his career um and yet i would think that one of brees's best qualities is his leadership ability did do you see any of that with patrick mahomes i mean i, I know that you it's, it's been from a distance and, and maybe sam mcdowell is, is better equipped to speak to that than than than, than you are but um I, I just i just see somebody in mahomes who has the ability to to lead men and um and, and if you've got that and drew brees has that Uh, that is a a tremendous advantage.
2: One of the things you learn in the United States Army or any military when it comes to leadership is you lead by example. Mahomes suffers an ankle injury, what, two weeks ago? He's on the field. You lead by example. So if if you're the star player, and and unless your bone is sticking out, then obviously you can't play. But he did everything that he could to get ready to play this week. So he led by example. So when you talk about leaders, that's what you look for. Who's leading by example? It's from top down.
3: Andy Reid leads by example, and it just filters to the players. And just sort of add on to that, we were all out there Monday for Andy Reid's availability, and he mentioned LaShawn McCoy doing the exact same thing with his ankle, which was a week later. So um, not that he wouldn't have done that if he hadn't seen Patrick Mahomes do that, but McCoy comes from a different franchise, so I do think it's notable that he sees the quarterback, the franchise player, doing something, and then all of a sudden he's sort of mimicking that the next week. I
0: thought that you and I were going to see each other at the Super Bowl last year, when the teams that we cover <laughs> were in the, were playing home games in conference in the conference championship. Uh, we missed each other, as it turned out, um, with the Saints losing to the Rams and the, and the Chiefs to the Patriots. But obviously, great seasons, uh, great organizations. We we talk a lot about the the Chiefs locker room, and it's you know it's tight uh you know it, we we've brought it up recently in terms of Jalen Ramsey would you know could would he fit in Kansas City would the locker room help him become a you know a team guy and I think the consensus is yes but did you see that in New Orleans with the Saints and their locker room
2: oh absolutely that is one of the things about the Saints locker rooms they had the perfect combination of veterans and young players that that, that not necessarily fall in line, because I guess that's not a really good phrase to use, but basically that's what they are doing. And then they're following the lead of your Cameron Jordans, your, your Drew Brees, the unquestioned leader on that team. Thomas Morstead, he's a punter, but he's been around forever, and he's one of the league's best, and then you just watch his example. You know, going back to us potentially seeing each other in February last year, I actually made that prediction. You know, Before the season even started, then I was with the NFL, I made that prediction. I said the Chiefs and the Saints in the Super Bowl. And if not for two horrendous calls, uh, the, the phantom <laughs> roughing the passer on Tom Brady. Tom Brady, got, got, heaven forbid, you breathe on him. You know, that was a brutal call. And then obviously the, the most egregious, blatant no call in the history of the National Football League, the, the pass interference rule. But if not for those two bad calls, it's the
3: Saints and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm kind of curious because you've had a different perspective on this. Um, we cover the Chiefs. We're in the Chiefs locker room constantly. You've been in other locker rooms, and I'm wondering if Mahomes, the Chiefs, but specifically Mahomes, is ever just a conversation because we see the amazing things he does. We talk to him about it. We talk to his teammates about it. But I'm just wondering if out of thin air, he ever sort of comes up in conversations in, in other locker rooms that you've been in. Uh, not, not in the Saints locker room. because most, and,
2: and this is rightfully so because most players will say, we're focused on our opponent
3: and they haven't
0: played each other correct last
2: time the saints and Chiefs
0: played alex smith was the quarterback
2: but i will say this the saints are the saints management at least and the coaching staff really know patrick mahomes because don't forget two years ago john dorsey jumped in front of the saints at number 11 for a reason Peyton did his due diligence on patrick mahomes and it's not uncommon for it's not common for sean payton to fly himself out and work out quarterbacks he did that with mahomes So there's a lot of grumblings going on that if the Saints, if the Chiefs don't jump in front of Patrick Mahomes, do the Saints pick him? Oh, absolutely. I I, I have no doubt in my mind that was going to happen because that was probably going to be Drew Brees' heir apparent. And it's going to be interesting next year because, as we know, the Chiefs travel to New Orleans. Correct. So that's going to be a nice little storyline. We're going to be all over it. You know, Sean Payton, you know, is, is Mahomes the guy you thought he was when you worked him out? When you flew out there to Texas Tech and worked him out.
3: Just one more team you can add to the list of, like, (laughs) what if we had Patrick (laughs) Mahomes? But that was legit, though. There was a lot of legit stuff going on there because the Saints were
2: really looking at him. And I remember we asked Sean Payton after um, they picked Marshawn Lattimore, what would you have done? Lattimore's not there.
0: I think the Bills are on the top of that list
3: for uh, sure. Uh, that's the and the trade. Bears and, and the, the Bears, Bears traded up for a quarterback. But you're right, <laughs> the Bills trading out of that spot at number ten okay. that year and not getting them. I mean, but can you imagine though? Because you've got Patrick Mahomes. It was a win-win situation for him. Andy
2: Reid is a quarterback whisper. We all know that. Sean Payton is an offensive guru. So just think about if he had gone either place.
0: Well, we've started to wonder here, I don't, start's probably not the right word, uh, but there have been conversations, what if Mahomes had started from the get-go in Kansas City and not, um, you know, and, and not, Alex Smith yeah. uh, had, had that horrible slump at midseason yeah. and yeah. lost five in a row. Five in
3: a row, and then a 5-0 team. The other thing that was interesting about that, though, is when we saw Mahomes play in Denver in Week 17, he was pretty spectacular. But now you look back on it and it, it might be his worst game as a starter. <laughs> Statistically, <laughs> twenty <laughs> some games later, what? There's no 300 yards
0: there, Did, <laughs> right? Didn't didn't throw a touchdown? Yeah, had a pick, and yet and yet you remember he came out of the game in the fourth quarter when they seemed to have it solved Oh the way. yeah, you're right. Tyler yeah. Bray came yeah. in, and Denver took the lead or tied him, or anyway. Yeah. So they put Mahomes back in for a game game winning field goal drive.
3: I think a lot of fans. I mean, first of all, the backup quarterback is often a popular position for fans. Um, although here, finally in Kansas City, it doesn't. People don't seem to care about the backup quarterback. But I think even during that season, we were sort of wondering: Is he even thinking about the possibility of turning it over to Patrick Bumps? But at that point, all we'd heard was sort of this legend growing about what he was doing in practice. Of course, we're only open to seeing stretching every day, and we're not seeing the spectacular stuff he's doing within the pocket, outside the pocket. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we, it, it, but you're is,
0: right. We were hearing it from Eric Berry, from yeah. Marcus Peters, people like that. Yeah, and
3: you do wonder would he be would his development be a little bit different if if he had played earlier? Maybe he wasn't ready for that moment. Maybe it allowed him to sort of ease into it. But they, it's hard to question any step that they've made with this guy. I, I will say this: I'm
2: I'm actually glad they didn't throw him out there. You know, because most most rookie quarterbacks when they're thrown into the fire do not perform well. Going back to leading by example. Watching the Chiefs slump, watching how Alex Smith handled that, is it gave Patrick the opportunity to say, okay, so this is how a veteran handles adversity. That's a good point. Let yeah. me let me apply that to when it happens to me.
0: And that was perfect. Well, and, and Patrick himself has said that the environment that that he in which he was that spent his rookie year was amazing when you think about it. He, not only was he, you know. Um, behind alex smith a veteran quarterback a former 1-1 pick but you know he's got andy reed he's got uh, matt nagy as the quarterback's coach i mean it is a that's the year they hired kafka as basically mahomes personal coach it was just an amazing learning environment for mahomes that he by all signs took full advantage of and and the chiefs benefit from from that to to this day he's uh, Sunday's game against the, the Ravens was Mahomes' twentieth as a starting quarterback, and he's sixteen and four. And if the world ended today, he'd have the greatest winning percentage of a starting <laughs> yeah. quarterback with at least twenty starts. So, I think all
3: four of his losses are by one possession, too, right?
0: And, and all to playoff teams. Yeah, uh, three on the road, right? Because um, yeah. we, we were looking at this. The, the home other day. game
3: was the Chargers' two-point conversion, but yeah, everything else yep. was. But they're all yeah all one possession games.
0: No, they they don't they they just don't lose they haven't lost a you know in a way that you just think boy what a what a stinker let's just yeah. put this behind us uh, and the way they've played through three games this year it's just been if you're a Chiefs fan and you're thinking Super Bowl I think your, your mind's in the right place
3: yeah I mean, uh, it, it's, it's sort of funny because now just when, when you said that looking back at last year it their most exciting games have actually been their losses because they're always competitive in their <laughs> <That's right>. losses. <laughs> they're not always always competitive in their wins. <laughs> um, so some of their losses have been some of the best games to cover because they've just been the the back and forth nature. It usually just comes down to what you and I, Blair, and what what Herbie will be talking a lot about is can the defense get enough stops because. It's become to the point to where there's not a question of what the Mahomes led offense is gonna be doing.
2: So essentially I'm coming back to what I've what I left. It's there's always that question, will the defense hold up? It,
3: exactly. Wow.
2: Wow. Yeah. I think from watching from afar, I was always amazed at the cornerback play, this the defensive secondary play, because it was it was always questionable. Uh, and it was always that I think one of the best years they had here on defense was what?
0: Probably 2014, 2015? 15, yeah. That, that's the year they ended up started 1 in 5 and then won 10 to end the yes. regular
2: season. Can you imagine that defense with this offense? Uh, I've, I've it's thought over. about
0: that. Uh, it's over. Gosh. Yeah, I, I don't I don't understand. I know they just switched the
2: scheme, and and Coach Reed does have a point. It is going to take them a while to adjust, but they did make the personnel changes because you want to get the pieces that fit a 4 3 scheme. I, and I get that. But sooner or later, they have to. They have to stand up and say, "We're going to shut you down." Period.
0: That was the Eric Berry comeback year um, after you know after his uh, Hodgkin's mm-hmm. uh, lymphoma. So that was uh, Marcus Peters' rookie year. Yeah, I mean, yep, yep. just uh There was so much to like about that defense, and they just got better and better as the season w- went on. They
2: had, they had two two good cornerbacks: Sean Smith, yeah, Marcus Peters. Yep. You had DJ back there.
0: For sure. Justin Houston was, Just, yep. you know, Tamba was probably the last yeah. good year for Tomba, as, as I recall. Wow. Memories. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well, you'll be making some more of them, Herbie, here at um, you know here in Kansas City. We're, we're so glad that you're back, and it's going to be fun covering the Chiefs with you and with Sam McDowell. Listen, if you haven't read uh, Sam McDowell's story, I know we're, we're going to switch sports for a second. If you haven't read Sam McDowell's story on Danny Duffy, that appeared um, in the print editions on Sunday and spent online for a few days. Do yourself a favor and go read it, it's phenomenal. And um, and, and we're gonna get that kind of coverage on the Chiefs from, from Sam and from Herbie. And guys, great talking to you, and we will chat again soon.
3: Thanks, Blair. Thanks, Blair.
0: Links to the stories we discussed can be found in the show notes on KansasCity.com and the Red Zone Extra app. Thanks to Kathy Lou and Leah Becerra for putting together today's episode. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. We'll be back on Wednesday for another episode of Sports Beat KC, sponsored by Big O Tires.